Most of us in healthcare are warm, caring people who are committed to keeping our patients safe and doing no harm. But there are some among us who do the unthinkable and betray our noble profession. On this podcast, we like to shine a light on the good and the bad. Each week, I'll be joined by another healthcare professional, and together we'll dive into these stories while chatting about nursing and healthcare along the way. I'm Tina, a registered nurse, and this is Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. This is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse. Welcome back to another week of talking nursing and a little true crime. We have a really interesting bad doctor story for you today. It's kind of back in the day and we're going back to the 1850s. It's a really creepy story, I will tell you that. So, but I kind of like the older stories because they're to me a little bit more fun to do because we don't have to worry about there being people out there that are connected there. I can guarantee you there's nobody out there listening to this that was alive in 1850. So (laughs) at least we can have that to not have to worry about. So this week, I want to welcome back one of my favorite guest hosts, and I think probably one of your favorite guests hosts too, Nurse Jessica Seitz. Hey, Jessica. Hello, Tina. Thank you for having me again. I feel like I'm at home here. (laughs) I know. You've been on several times. The interesting thing is I realized I had never actually featured you in the Goodner story. And I was like, have I never done this? I need to do this because you do so many wonderful things. Just all the stuff that you do for people, like just thinking about the Nurses March and all this stuff, but also just the funny, comical way that you bring awareness to issues in nursing. And so I just want to kind of talk about all that stuff and your social media presence and all the hard work that you put into your social media account. And it's just, it's amazing. I feel like you're the hardest working woman in social media because I mean, you're like everywhere and and your videos are so funny and entertaining. You bring awareness to issues in a way that's sort of fun and not always just like downer, you know? I try. I definitely try to do that. I think that that's kind of the whole reason I started doing social media and trying to bring some humor was because like a lot of other healthcare workers felt like I was kind of in a dark place and stuck in a rut and my job and, you know, being a nurse for so many years, it just wasn't what it used to be. So I basically decided to just take off down this avenue and see where it led me in hopes that people liked it and people enjoyed it and maybe giggled off the day a tiny bit. But the best part of it was as things got started taking off, I mean, obviously it wasn't instantaneously. I mean, this has been a few years now. I was able to finally, I mean, obviously I keep my license, but I don't have to work full-time bedside nursing. So I can really hit the core issues and make fun of administration and management. I love that. That's my, that's my favorite videos to do is the ones that I can really not be afraid of backlash, you know, where I can really say what's going on. And it's stuff that other people can't necessarily do, you know, unless you're committed 100% to only doing this full time, you know, people are always worried about saying too much. And once we get into the Goodner story, we're going to talk a little bit about how you have turned this into a way to, 
it's a business. It's your income now. It's literally yeah. replaced, well more than replaced your income as a nurse. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. I'm sure people are fascinated about it. I'll be excited to talk about it. Can't wait. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody that there is the Nurse Creator Con that's on September 24th. It'll be from 1 to 7. It's going to be like no other conference you've ever been to. It's it's going to be so much fun because we have part of it that is going to be sort of educational. Jessica is going to be talking about how to do what she's done on Facebook and Instagram and on, on her social media. And we have all kinds of other people who are going to be talking about their specialties. And that's going to be one thing, but we're also going to have like a lot of entertainment. We're going to have a live roundtable style podcast. We're going to have Nurse Family Feud. Mike with Simple Nursing is going to be there and he's going to be making a music video with one of his crazy songs. I so, can't wait for that. Is it not going <laughs> to be fun? fun. Yes. Taco Bar. Did I mention Taco Bar? Cash Bar is going to be there and it's going to be held in an art gallery. It's I feel like I just can't wait. It's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait. Also, I want to thank LegalNurse.com for helping us to pay for all of this so we can all come together and have this event. And Echo Devices, the company that makes the Lippmann Core stethoscope, the device that, that goes on there. Oh, my gosh. You can hear everything with that, Amazing. With that Amazing. stethoscope. And CBD Stat, amazing company. They have been sponsoring my podcast for several years, and they're just so good to nurses, so good to people, people in healthcare. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Love their products. So appreciate all of them. Are you thinking about going back to school to get a master's degree, maybe a family nurse practitioner degree? Well, it's so important to choose the right program. Samuel Merritt University's MSN FNP program has a 100% employment rate after six months. Unbelievable. And Samuel Merritt University has been kind enough to continue to sponsor our podcast. And they want us to let you know they're continuing to offer a $10,000 scholarship to anyone enrolled in their MSN, DNP, or family nurse practitioner programs. If you're interested in getting more information about these programs, you can visit them at smumsn.com. That's smumsn.com. Com. And of course, we'll put that link on our website if you want to just go to goodnursebadnurse.com. I also wanted to remind you that if you're interested in travel nursing, to go to trustedhealth.com forward slash good nurse and fill out a profile so you can see what kind of jobs are out there. And you can also see what they pay, the stipend, the hourly rate, all of that. I'm a travel nurse now with Trusted Health and I absolutely love working for them. So go to trustedhealth.com, be sure and put forward slash good nurse so that they'll know that we sent you there and fill out a profile today. So this is the story of Dr. Thomas Neil Cream. So he was born in Scotland in May of 1850, as I said. We're going back in the day a little bit. He was, he was born to a prominent timber merchant. He was the oldest of eight siblings. So at the age of four, his family immigrated to Canada. So he attended McGill College in Montreal as a medical student. And in 1876, he graduated with honors. So during his time as a student, however... He sort of developed a taste for alcohol and kind of accidentally drank most of his family's wealth away. I hate when that happens. That's a lot of alcohol. I know. Really Either is. that or maybe he wasn't working or something where they had to support him or at the time. I don't know. It makes me wonder if maybe there wasn't some gambling involved too. Or maybe. Yeah. Well, he attempted to recoup some of his family's wealth by filing an insurance claim against his home when it suspiciously went up in flames. So the insurance company was a little suspicious of the request of $978 or today's equivalent would be like $26,000. 
And he walked away with a third of what he requested. So soon after he graduated, he met a woman by the name of Flora Brooks, and she was an heiress to a, of a prosperous hotel in Waterloo. Sounds like Paris Hilton. I know. I'm like, <laughs> that's what it sounds like. So they develop a romantic relationship and between the two of them, and she became pregnant. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, as you can imagine, the pregnancy of an unwed socialite would have caused quite quite the scandal in the eight, late 1800s. So the pregnancy was deemed unwanted. And now who deemed it unwanted? Who knows? Somebody decided right. it wasn't a good idea for her to be pregnant. And he elected, and I, the way this is worded is so weird. It's like he elected to perform an abortion of his own child. And it makes me wonder, like, did she have a say in this or is this you know, some sort of mutual agreement. It didn't really, it almost makes it seem like it was his choice. That's odd. It's almost like, you know, my husband's OBGYN. I would not let him be my OBGYN, my right. GYN. Well, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just like yeah, a little too close for, but I don't, who knows? Maybe things were done differently back then. We'll go with that. Well, she nearly died during this procedure and her father was livid and demanded that he do the right thing and marry her. So somehow this got out instead of them kind of keeping it under wraps, you know. So he actually relented and to her father's demands, and they were married on September 11th in 1876. So they didn't have a honeymoon. The day after they were married, he left for England and registered as a graduate student at St. Thomas's Hospital in London. He additionally obtained a, cert- a certification from the Royal College of Physicians and Surgeons in Edinburgh. Here he is. He's over here in medical school. And then he sends her some pills to help her recover from the botched abortion. So he's trying to make things right, maybe. Supposedly. It was like antibiotics or something or pain pills. Who knows? I mean, this was in the 1800s. So who knows what he told her that these pills were that were somehow going to help her heal from this botched abortion. But it made her severely ill. And even after she stopped taking the medication because her own doctor said, you don't need to be taking this, her health just really continued to be in dire condition, and she actually died. And some people thought she died from tuberculosis in 1877, but I mean, I guess that's not really confirmed that's what she died from, and it almost makes me wonder, he's giving her these pills, she gets sick, then she dies, and... You know what this reminds me of is like in the movie Dirty Dancing, where the girl ends up needing an abortion and has like a guy like comes with his van and, you know, kind of does it probably not the most sterile, you know, of of things like, you know, or it was just kind of something like quiet, you know, that they were trying to do without everybody knowing. It almost like reminds me something of that, that feel, except she didn't have the doctor swoop in and help out. I know. And I, it makes me wonder, he didn't want to marry her to begin with. So was he trying to end the marriage by sending her these pills that he knew were, was going to make her sick so that he could then maybe inherit her wealth? Oh, right. But she took him out of the will. She took him out of the will before she died. I'm sure he didn't count on that happening. So a few years later, 
he returned to Canada and started his career. He actually was working as an abortionist. That's what he was doing. And his reputation was kind of, I guess, on the rise until a young woman by the name of Catherine or Kate Gardner was found dead in his office with a bottle of chloroform beside her, which is weird. Why would you have a, I don't know, that just seems odd. So obviously foul play was suspected and there was plenty of evidence against him, but he was never charged with her murder. So he packed up his business and relocated to Chicago. Yeah, he dodged town, I guess, got out of that mm-hmm. heat in that area. Yeah, I'm sure he... I'm sure he developed such a reputation that he had to kind of completely relocate, you know, in order to be able to continue his business. Well, he sort of developed a penchant for murder and this kind of behavior because he really, at this point, he kind of started going downhill with the way he was treating women and, and his behavior. He would offer illegal services to sex workers for, quote, diseases of the womb, And so over the next year and a half, more women would die under his care, including a woman by the name of Marianne Faulkner and also a woman by the name of Miss Stack. So he was charged with these murders, but there was no conviction because they didn't have any evidence. This always blows my mind that we have enough evidence that this historical record exists. This, like we you know, 200 years later, know that this happened. And yet that back then there wasn't enough evidence to, to, you know, supposedly to convict. It makes me wonder, like, was there really not enough evidence or did it have something to do with the fact that he was a physician? Right. Right. Where they uh, could, they could kind of attribute it class level. Yeah. They could attribute it or to something that medically went wrong or something, you know, Mm -hmm. always kind of finding an excuse. Right. Because his victims in their eyes were not, you know, didn't matter, you know, they did, it, maybe it didn't matter to them. If these women had jobs that were controversial, you know, how they made money, maybe it was just not enough of a reason for somebody to want to investigate, sadly. In his spare time, while he wasn't poisoning women, he became an entrepreneur and developed and marketed an elixir that he touted would cure epilepsy. Wow. I know. He really amassed quite a following that believed that this miracle concoction was going to cure epilepsy somehow, including a man by the name of Daniel Stott. So Stott was obviously unaware of all of his activities that had to do with women over the years. But he starts sending his wife to pick up the elixir from this doctor. And so as he when the when the wife start you know goes to his house, he must have been really charming, mm-hmm. as you know a lot of psychopaths are you know like really charming. They have a way of coming across to people as though they're like a chameleon. They can just morph themselves into whatever is appealing to you, right? And so they come across like they're just really nice and that they really like you and they're really trustworthy. And so he must have had this ability because this man's wife, Julia, as she's going over to pick up this elixir from him, kind of fell for him. He starts, you know, making passes at her and the two became romantically involved in this affair. And then Daniel Stott, her husband, 
found out about it or started getting, you know, kind of suspicious about it. So then our Dr. Cream decided that he would need to do something about that. And he made a special formulation of his elixir just for Daniel Stott, Julia's husband. And this new formula was especially potent with strychnine. Oh, I don't think that's supposed to be in there. There are so many amazing nurse creators out there right now. How would you like to come to a really cool city, Austin, Texas, and not only get to meet some of these most fascinating nurses, but get to learn from them how they became successful. We're meeting up in Austin, Texas on September 24th at an absolutely adorable art gallery where we're going to get to hear them teach masterclasses on everything from Facebook to TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and even me. I'll tell you all about podcasting, how to get sponsors, all of that stuff. Not only are we going to have masterclasses, we're also going to have a fun evening of entertainment and food, taco bar, dinner and non-alcoholic beverages are included in the ticket. And then we're also going to have a cash bar. So hurry and get registered because tickets are on sale right now with an early bird price and in-person tickets are limited. So I can't wait to see you all there. Go to nursecreatorcon.com to register. That's nursecreatorcon.com to register. Or we also will put the link on our website at goodnursebadnurse.com. Welcome, Leah. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your experience with CBD Stat. Which product do you actually use? So there's four products, the roll-on, the cream, the salve, and the oil. The two that I use every day are the cream and the oil. What is your biggest benefit? How does it help you? The cream I put on every day after work. I'll shower and then I'll put it on my feet just to help my arches. No more shin splints, just my feet feel more comfortable. And the cream has been a lifesaver there. And then I use the oil to help me sleep. So I just switched jobs. I had been working nights for the last eight years. So the oil was huge on helping me come home and actually get quality of sleep throughout the day. And I wake up feeling well-rested and not groggy like some other medications have made me feel in the past. I didn't realize that about the feet. And I have plantar fasciitis. So now I literally cannot wait to get off here and go try that. And then just the sleep benefit, that one is definitely well known. I hear that a lot in the feedback that I've gotten. As you guys know, their products are 100% THC free. CBD Stat has a team of engineers that invented a very unique and efficient process to produce CBD isolate, which is the purest form of CBD. They only offer very strong products greater than a thousand milligrams. If you guys are interested in CBD stat in their product, you can go to cbdstat.care forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. Be sure and put the forward slash good nurse, bad nurse in there so they know that we sent you there. cbdstat.care. Be sure and put .care instead of .com forward slash good nurse, bad nurse. He would have gotten away with murder. I was, whenever I say that, I'm always, if it wasn't for those meddling kids, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) he would have gotten away with murder, but he, of course, craves attention. He can't stand the, he wants more and more. Like a narcissist. He has to bring, yeah. Yeah, they gotta have the attention. Exactly. So this bizarre, in this bizarre move, he wrote to the coroner and accused a pharmacist of being responsible for the death of Daniel Stott instead of epilepsy, because they all sort of attributed it to epilepsy. Like, oh, you know, he had an epileptic fit and died. Well, in his narcissistic brain, he can't have people thinking he died of epilepsy because he had been taking his elixir. So he's, it's, it looks bad on him. That's bad for business if someone who has epilepsy dies of a seizure and they were taking your supposed cure. And so he 
publicly uh, accuses and writes this to the court. This might answer your question. According to Mayo Clinic, your doctor may decide not to start treatment for a seizure until you've had more than one. Treatment often Thank you, allows the use of anti-seizure medications. Finding the right medication and dosage can be complex. If anti-seizure medications don't work, other treatments may include surgery or implanting stop. a device that sends signals to your brain to stop or prevent seizures. Following a diet that's high in fat... Tell her Alexa, stop. Stop. They're always listening, man. What happened? Holy crap, that scared the crap. <laughs> I'm freaking out now. I literally, my heart just sank into my stomach. I had no idea where that's the ghost of Dr. Cream puff coming at you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting here all creepy. He heard, you, story he heard you talking about a cream puff and he's coming at you. He's like, uh uh-uh, uh, that ain't the way it went down. It's <laughs> so weird. What the heck did I, I know. say? I'm freaking out. That was interesting. Okay. So obviously, you know, he's so narcissistic and he can't have it infringing on his business. It's not good for business to have someone die of epilepsy who's taking your cure for epilepsy. So he has to come up with a way to make it appear as though it wasn't his, it it was something else that killed him and not the seizure. Right. So he has, he writes to the coroner. And says, hey, there's a, f- I think the pharmacist put something extra in, in, in my elixir. That pharmacist did something. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't, an, it wasn't a seizure. So the, it kind of backfired on him, though, because the coroner kind of dismisses it. But the DA kind of humored the request and ordered the exhumation. So I feel like the DA, and we know DAs, and so we're familiar with DAs. We've been dealing with DAs the past, past this whole past oh, yeah. year or two. You know, so I feel like the DA is sitting there. You know, like, hmm, wonder why he would have asked this question. And he's suspicious. I'm thinking he's suspicious of Dr. Cream. So he actually does exhume the body, finds the strychnine in. Daniel Stout's stomach, and he's like, hmm, let's see. They're having an affair. He's taking your elixir. He's taking a potion that that his wife picks up and gives him mm-hmm. that you made. He dies. You attribute it to some poison being put, and you're accusing the pharmacist. Like The whole thing is just too much. So he actually gets convicted of murder. And was imprisoned in the Illinois State Penitentiary. So he was issued a life sentence, but he was released early on good behavior. I never get this. Why do people, if you're, if it's a life sentence, why is it not life? Yeah, I, think I don't understand that. The severity that's either life without parole or life with parole, a possibility of parole. So he probably served a certain amount of years and they came up with some all balloon thing and let him out just never makes sense to me. If you do something bad enough that they say life and then. I know. It's like, why call it, why call it life in prison if it isn't really life in prison? I don't know. Like what is, it's not really your life, but I mean, because a life is more than 20 years. It's supposed to be. So anyway, they, he did get out on good behavior in July, on July 31st of 1891. It's believed that his brother had something to do with it, that maybe he kind of paid off some people in order to get him released. So he goes to England. He somehow collected an inheritance. How in the world he collects an inheritance after this happens? But anyway, he ends up collecting some sort of an inheritance, blows through the money very quickly, 
and ended up in the slums of London where he was sort of hanging out with a lot of sex workers, which we know is not good for the sex workers in this case because he's not very good to women in general. So there were two sex workers by the name of Matilda Clover and Ellen Donworth, and they both died from poisoning soon after he started hanging around there in this in the slums. Clover was initially thought to have died of alcoholism, but her death was later ruled as a poisoning. Oh my god. So gosh. in both murders, Cream, yeah. He tried to blackmail and extort cash from prominent figures who he claimed had been behind the killing. So this was, I guess, his MO. He would kill someone and then point the finger, you know, at someone else. And that was just how he, and somehow he, this worked for him. I mean, he evaded being convicted in both of these murders. So he was obviously very clever. I mean, he did graduate at the top of his class with honors. So this guy really likes poisoning people. Jeez. Yeah, this is, that was definitely Same. his Yeah, that was his, his go-to. So he, he took a little break there for a while from his from poisoning, poisoning took efforts. A, it, yeah. He took he a little. Like, this is exhausting. Yeah. I need a vacation. He's like, if I do number three, they might be suspicious. <laughs> Let's hold, I know I'm laughing. I shouldn't be. But I'm just saying, like, it's so ridiculous. I mean, yeah. it is ridiculous. So he would have remained otherwise unimplicated in these next murders that happen if he hadn't resorted to another bizarre course of action. So there was these two women, Alice Marsh and Emma Sherville. He blamed that that were killed and he blamed the murders on his neighbor, but he proclaimed that he would, was not going to divulge his incriminating evidence to police unless he was paid a handsome price, no less than 1500 pounds. So when his demands were not met, he abandoned his accusations but he wasn't yet prepared to let go of his romanticizing of the murders. So he bragged to others at the end of his inside knowledge of the murders. He's just so bold. So he goes and commits these murders and then decides, oh, I'm going to say, hey, I know who killed these people and I have inside information. So I, you know, but I'll give you this inside information if you give me money. And so when that doesn't work, he just keeps talking and running his mouth about it. It's just this guy's too much. Wow, what a good Samaritan. So, I'll tell you who the killer is, oh, but yes. I need some money first because I blew through I my mean, inheritance. Wow. Right. What an, he should have so, just been left in jail, prison, I mean. Should have just stayed there. Yeah. He started taking people on guided tours of the murder scenes. Oh, my gosh. He made the mistake of taking a New York tourist on a tour who was a police sergeant. This guy's a real piece of work. Oopsie. The sergeant informed local... Uh-huh. He informed local authorities of his suspicions, which prompted an undercover investigation. So in conjunction with his habits for visiting sex workers and discussions with American police, they concluded that Cream was indeed the Lambeth Poisoner and arrested him. So after a trial in October of 1892, Cream was convicted of the murders of four women, one count of attempted murder and multiple counts of extortion. So on November 15th, 1892, he was hanged. Oh, The hangman, wow. James Billington, later went on record saying that Cream's last words were, I am Jack the... But he never finished his sentence. So... No other officials present could corroborate these claims. And 
they don't really think he could have been Jack the Ripper because he was in that prison in Illinois, you know, for the previous crimes that he had committed at the time of a lot of the killings for, from Jack the Ripper. So it's widely believed that Hangman said that so that he could claim he hung the infamous Jack the Ripper. Or so the guy think. figured he was going down, he might as well go down in history as like this amazing mass murderer or whatever. So it was one of the two, but I, I think you're probably right and they're right. Yeah. Either way, they don't think that it makes sense that it's implausible because of the differences in the execution of the murders. I mean, he poisoned where Jack the Ripper, he had other ways of killing people. So that coupled with the fact that he was in prison during most of you know the time that, that those deaths were happening in London, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. So either he just said that to get more notoriety in, during his, you know, in his death, or the hangman was just trying to get notoriety and make a name for himself. Hmm. Guess we'll so, never know for sure, but I guess not. We can only speculate. I don't know about you, but I have to have coffee every morning before I go to work. And lately, I found myself needing more and more coffee just to get that awake and alert feeling. Well, I got this email from a company called Magic Mind, and they sent me this little elixir that I drink every morning, in addition to my coffee, because I ain't giving that up. And it has this ingredient in it called L-theanine that helps the caffeine in my coffee to last longer and to be more effective for me. So I kind of look at it as the opposite of taking melatonin on the nights before I have to work that sort of helps shut my mind down. So this has ingredients to help wake my mind up and just help me you know, be able to focus more and be more alert at work. So of course, this is in no way giving any medical advice or guaranteeing that it's going to work for you in the same way it works for me. But I, I mean, I found it to be beneficial and hey, you might too. Just go to www magicmind.co forward slash nurse and enter the promo code nurse20. That's www.magicmind.co forward slash nurse and then use the promo code nurse20. And of course, we'll put that link on our website. If you want to, you can go to goodnursebadnurse.com. So I have to tell you guys about an experience I had with a nursing student. So you know, I've been doing travel nursing. Well, this hospital where I'm at has a lot of LPN students doing their clinicals there. So one of them was following me around one day and she noticed my stethoscope. And of course, y'all know the Echo Technology Company that sponsors our podcast. They teamed up with Littman to make the stethoscopes, to beat all stethoscopes, the 3M Littman Core Digital Stethoscope. And this is the one that I use now. So she said, oh my gosh, I've been wanting to try one of those. So of course I let her use it. And she just could not stop talking about it for the rest of the shift. It was so cute. She was like, you know, I can't hear anything with my normal stethoscope because I have tinnitus. And so she was so excited because she could actually hear what heart sounds were supposed to sound like. She said, I'm going to ask for one of these for graduation. And I was like, yeah, you definitely should. So just so you know, the echo technology that makes the stethoscope so amazing, um, you can enable it with a flip of a switch. You can turn it on and off. It has active noise cancellation up to 40 times amplification, wireless auscultation using Bluetooth technology. It connects with Echo's free app and software so that you can visualize, record, share, live stream, analyze heart sounds, lung sounds, and whatever body sounds you want to listen to. So you can go to echohealth.com and use the promo code GNBN to get 10% off your order. And that's Echo is spelled E-K-O, by the way. So it's echohealth.com and use the GNBN promo code to get 10% off your order. That was our bad doctor story. My goodness, it was 
He was bad. He was definitely bad. Wow. Gross. Thank you, Dr. Cream Puff. Cream. That's what I named him now. Cream. The name is so weird. I'm Mm -hmm. just like, I mean, oh, weird. So I guess we can get into our good nurse story. I'm so excited to get to talk to people about this because you kind of blew our minds one day. We're in a meeting, Jessica, when you and me and several other nurses who are going to be going to the Nurse Creator Con in September, we're all in this big meeting and Jessica's just like, and we were all trying to decide, like, how, what do you want to call your master class? And what do you want to call your master class? And we're coming. Jessica goes, I want to call mine how I make $40,000 a month on, on Facebook. And we were all just like, like crickets. Everybody got so quiet. Nobody said a word. And everybody's just like, I think it's like a hidden secret that a lot of people don't know about. Seriously. I'm like, what? I mean, seriously, it was quiet for what felt like five minutes. Everybody was just sitting there. And then Jessica started laughing. They're like, are you being being serious? Mm -hmm. They're like, I want to know how to do this. I want to take the class. (laughs) I was like, so anyway, that's what was. It was so funny. And yeah, everybody's like, wait. She didn't just say what I think. No, she didn't just say that. No, I misunderstood. So since then, I mean, there, I have talked to a few other people who are on different social media outlets, and it's like each one of them has their has its own like algorithm or code or something you have to figure out. And once people figure it out, you can make money like that. And but you have to figure it out. And it's like, there's a, there's one, what works on TikTok doesn't work on Instagram. What works on Instagram doesn't work on Facebook. It's like, or or YouTube, like you're right. Every, everyone has their own algorithm and their own way of. Yeah. So the neat thing is we kind of have lots of different social media influencers who are nurses who are going to be at the creator con who are successful on all the different platforms. So I'm so excited. I think we are all excited to get to learn from each other. So, but the neat thing is, Jessica, you didn't start out going, hey, I want to make $40,000 a month on Facebook. I think I'm going to start making videos. That's not how that worked at all. No, actually, I started out thinking I was going to go big on YouTube, which I have (laughs) no following on YouTube hardly at all. That was like what I thought was going to happen. And then when that didn't work, I just started thinking, well, maybe I'll just start sharing some of these same videos on Facebook. And then I slowly started learning gradually how as a business page, you can monetize your content. And, you know, I didn't have a class or anything like I could follow. And I didn't know anybody that was in the same industry like me trying to make money, you know, on on Facebook or Instagram, you know, I mean, all my friends are nurse friends that work in the hospital and I'm, you know so it was like a non-stop learning it was like a learning process on the daily trying to do whatever I could to figure out how to I mean it's not like Facebook has a number you can call just like that you're going to talk to somebody and they're going to tell you oh this is how you do it no it's not the way it works it's like looking for a needle in a haystack, literally to find out the right information in order, like you said, to figure out what these algorithms are and these different things in order to start gaining followers and people that enjoy your content. Because in the beginning, you're just lost in the shuffle. You're lost in the mix. Mm -hmm. You're a little 
tiny speck of sand on the beach, you know, it's yeah. a good way of explaining it. So it was learning. And, but as I started learning, I'd get monetized, I'd make money in one little area of Facebook, and then it would open up another door like, okay, you've reached this. Now we're going to offer you this. And then we're going to, because you're doing this, we're going to offer you this. And it's an amazing cascading, I mean, progression upward that you just keep growing and growing. And I would love, and that's why I was so excited about this creative con that we're doing is because I love sharing this information with people. I want other people to be able to do this if this is something that they're interested in, you know, and I want to be able to teach people how to do it because like I said, it's that information is hard to find out there really is. But I feel very blessed that knock on wood that I'm making a lot more money at this than I was at as a nurse. So what I love is that, you know, you started out just wanting to make funny videos and just because you're naturally just a funny person and you just kind of like to keep things light and you put those out there. But then when you realized when you did develop this really large following, you use that platform to bring awareness to issues in nursing that are really important to nurses. But I love the way you do it in such a way that is, you know, it's kind of funny, it keeps it light, because you are independent. Now you don't have to worry about stepping on anybody's toes or worry about getting fired from your job, you can just speak your mind and say whatever you want to say. And you literally create, you know, did this whole nurses march and all the work that you've put into that. It's not like you just get to sit back and the right. money just rolls in. There's a lot of hard work that goes oh, into what you do. When people ask me, like, how do you, like, they don't, a lot of people don't understand that this is now like a career for me. This is what I do as my career path. You know, they're like, how do you have time to be a nurse and do that? And I'm like, no, you can't, at this point, you can't do both. It would be impossible. I mean, obviously I built up and I was, I worked as a nurse while I was, getting to this point, but that is what I love to do because I remember being that bedside nurse on the floor and feeling overwhelmed and feeling like I was stuck in a rut and seeing all these crazy things that go on in the job that we do. And I don't mean crazy from like the crazy patient things that we see. I'm talking about the workload that they put on healthcare workers and stuff is absolutely bonkers. A good way to keep people's attention is through humor. People like to laugh. They like to giggle. And I think that's a large reason why people scroll these videos and stuff like that, you know, because they want to laugh it off. But at the same time, it's like, we do need to bring awareness to the ridiculousness of stuff that is going on in in nursing and in, in healthcare. And I think that's why the majority of my content is aimed at in a sarcastic way, showing just how ridiculous some of these issues are. Meaning the, you know, from the different things, from the way that nurses don't get breaks to the way administration, you know, wants nurses to do more and more and more and pick up more shifts and stay late and don't take a break and maybe come in early, but then you got to document more, document more. I'm not going to say everybody's supportive. I get mean messages. Sometimes people will, why don't you just quit being a nurse then? And I'm like, okay, well, they don't get it. I did. I'm not bedside nursing anymore. I'm still a nurse. I mean, I still have my license, but I want to make it more aware as to what the heck is going on here. 
Because it is. Because that doesn't make the system better. And we all are potentially patients in hospitals. Our family, our friends, we are all potentially patients in hospitals. So we are living in a world where it is not safe to go to a hospital right now. Yeah, if we just all up and quit, which sadly, a lot of nurses are leaving and, you know, we're having trouble keeping nurses in the hospital. But you're right. If there's no no nurses there to take care of your family. If there's no nurses to take care of your family, then what are we, what are patients going to do? What are their family members going to do? And that's the sad reality of it is that if it doesn't get fixed, it's, you know, it's going to get worse. It's going to get, it's going to get scarier, you know? Right. Because the hospitals are going to stay open until they're on literally their last legs, until nurses are on their last legs. Hospitals will stay open in unsafe conditions. And oh, so yeah. you'll have nurses. Absolutely. We are right now. Look at hospitals all across this country where you have nurses on med surge floors taking 14, 15 patients. You have nurses in ICUs taking three to four patients, true ICU patients. Nurses on step-down units taking five, six, seven, eight patients. It's unbelievable, the numbers. And what people don't understand is that you can't safely care. If you're sick enough to be in the hospital during this day and age, you are very sick and you need to be there and you need to be monitored. And the only people that are really there to ensure your safety and watch out for you are the nurses. I mean, you have other ancillary staff and obviously you have the physicians, but they are not there all the time. They're not like responsible for you like nurses are. Nurses carry the weight on their shoulders of their patients that they have. They are solely responsible. We are, I think what people don't understand is that if anyone else in the that patient's care, that all the people are responsible for doing things for a patient at the bedside, if somebody drops the ball, yeah, they might get in trouble, but the nurse is also responsible for all of the other people that if somebody, a phlebotomist is supposed to come by and take and draw labs and they don't, or they're late, the nurse is responsible for calling phlebotomy and calling the lab and hey, I, no one's shown up to take this person's Yeah, we're the first one thrown under the bus. We're the first ones we absolutely thrown are. under the bus. Yeah. And if nobody the has did. our backs. They do not have our backs. As much as administration no. says that they have your back, they do not. The bottom dollar is all that matters right now in in yeah. in the hospital. So they will cut out. They will absolutely cut out as much what they call fat as possible and run the hospital so lean that nurses are just it's all they can do to just barely be able to like get their meds passed and do the bare, very bare minimum and the patients are sitting there really vulnerable, really vulnerable. And it's what I think people just don't get it. So people like you who get on social media, people like me who get on my podcast and talk about this sort of thing, people like Nurse Erica, people like APRM Beauty, people like all the other people who are doing this sort of thing, we are helping to bring awareness to these issues to try to bring about change. It's the only, that's the only thing that's going to help is if we have legislation to ensure safe, you know, nurse to patient ratios. As bad as things are right now, have you heard about the messy bun controversy? I have. Uh, okay. This is crazy. This, this is 
why I have to make fun of things, okay? Because it is so ridiculous. I mean, we literally have nurses that are going to being arrested. We have nurses quitting on a daily basis. We, it, the list goes on and on of unsafe patient staff ratios. And we're going to nitpick on the way a nurse's bun looks. I mean, seriously, like I can't even wrap my head around what would they just, it's like, if you have enough time as an administrator or management to sit around and discuss that the nurse's buns are not kempt enough, okay, then you have enough time to get your ass out on the floor and help these nurses that are struggling and that they're dying. I swear, they just keep giving me content, Tina. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's never ending. The tone deafness of the people who write these memos and send them out. And they wonder why we can't keep nurses at the bedside, why there's a quote nursing shortage. You know, they wonder, and yet they continue to do ridiculous things like this that just prove that they have no idea. They have no idea what's really going on. They're just clueless or they just don't care. All they care about is that they're taken care of and that you're a good person and you're a, a loving healthcare worker and that you're there for them. But they don't care about the way your bun looks. They know that we're run ragged. I mean, it's just, it's so freaking silly that I just can't even wrap my brain around it. I don't, I keep hoping that it's just all about appearances. Yeah. They want to make it look like they have everything under control, I guess, Mm -hmm. you know, but it's the same, the same thing. If you think about it, like the same idea behind telling someone that not to have a messy bun and, you know, to have everything, have every hair in place and to look neat and kempt, all of that. That same thing is behind them saying, don't tell a patient or family member that you're short staffed. And that's the reason that you couldn't be getting, get to the room that in time, like, don't tell them that you're short staffed, tell them anything else. Oh, I'm so sorry that happened. What can I, I'm here now. What can I do for you? Because see, then they look at it like, it's all on you. It's all on the nurse. If you say you're short-staffed, it's on the hospital. Right. It looks bad on the hospital. And they don't want it looking bad on the hospital. They would rather you carry the whole burden of everything and have your bun all nice and neat when you do it. Yeah. It go, it, same thing goes along with them yelling at nurses or for having a thing of water at the nurse's station. I mean, who cares? I mean, th- this is not... Uh, an issue that needs to be focused and harped on. I mean, nurses aren't even getting to take a break. At least they need to drink water and be able to chart and drink a beverage of some sort. I mean, it's like they're wanting it to look like this militant, perfect, clean facility where nothing is going wrong. But it, in that's just the facade. The inside is it's all falling apart. If, and if you don't like it and if you don't shut up, Get out and we'll replace you with somebody else. That's the way it's looked at. But will you? I, where are you going to get these It's getting to the point that I think it's it's pretty close to that where they're just, there isn't, uh, the pool of people is getting to be slim pickings and there's less people going to nursing school. You know, that's that was their fallback was, well, I'll just get a new grad. You know, I'll get 
somebody fresh out of nursing school, well, those numbers are dwindling down too. So it's like, wake up people. So that's why I, and that's why I think it's so important to have people like you doing what you're doing on social media that will help. Because if you can make people laugh, then they'll pay attention. And if they're paying attention and you're bringing these serious issues in this sort of way, then maybe some change can actually happen. We can actually do something. Because when it comes right down to it, nurses can leave. We could go do something else. We have a bachelor's degree. We have an associate's degree, whatever the degree is that we have. We can go into another area of nursing and make, you know, plenty of money, if not more, and have a fulfilling job doing something else with our degree. But what we worry about is the safety of the public. It is not safe. So we can turn around and walk away. And yet I live in this community. And if something were to happen to me and I would need to go to a hospital, that's not changing. That is not changing if I don't do something about it. So we have got to talk about this and do whatever we can to bring awareness. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I know that you'll keep on doing it. I'm going to keep on doing it and pressing on until hopefully something. I keep thinking this has got to be the last straw. This is what's going to be that's going to catapult the change. And it still hasn't happened yet. I'm still waiting. So like today I did a funny TikTok on healthcare workers across America going to work now with an even more messed up bun than ever because it's like, hey, you're going to be this nitpicky. I'll show you a messed up bun. Okay. You all want to come in this because this is just ridiculous. It's just absolutely, absolutely crazy. And uh, like, what are they going to do? Send you home? Because of your hair well, stuff? Well, they'll write you up and write you up and write you up until you're fired, I guess. But who's to say it's what's a messy bun? I know. They, who's oh, to there's say examples. If, there's photos, Tina. There's photos. They, you have to see it. They actually, ridiculous. Uh, yeah. If, if you have too many pieces hanging, that's messy. It has, like how many pieces? I don't know. <laughs> we need to, I know. And I'm like, are we allowed to have the, you know, some people just do the two front. Are those okay? Well, or is that mm-hmm. not in style anymore? Oh, Lord. It's ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, it is. It's just ridiculous. But I, what are you going to do? All you can do is the people who are writing this, I just would love to know who these people are. Who are they? Who are they to decide what looks professional and what doesn't? What it, who do I they don't know. Are? I would love to see what their hair looks like. I'm sure it's very special. Yeah. I'm sure I they would look love to, perfect. I would love to as well. Oh, absolutely. And who are they to say that it's unprofessional to have your hair up in a messy bun? But what about how professional it is to get in one, you're, you have so many patients that by the time you get to your last patient, it's been hours since you saw your first patient. And because you can't possibly be in all these different places at once, which is more professional getting three patients back from a procedure area who all three had some sort of procedure done that you are supposed to be monitoring. You're supposed to be assessing for signs of hematoma, signs of signs of bleeding, swelling, infection, all of the things that you need to be assessing them for. Every 15 minutes, you get them all back at the same time. How professional is that? Yeah. That you can't, they're, they've been on your floor for 45 minutes and you haven't seen them because you've been in your other patient's room who got there at the same exact time. To me, that's unprofessional. That's very unprofessional, but they don't care. Figure it out. That's the way it's, figure it out. Just 
And I think for a long time, nurses have been absorbing a lot and nurses have been figuring it out. Nursing's always been crazy. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to act like mm-hmm. back in the day, it was this yeah. magical wonderland. I mean, but the level of micromanaging has gone to this all time high. And there's been this shift of where admin does not have nurses backs anymore. I mean, at least that's my experience. Back in the day, I felt like it was crazy, but you were understood. You were listened to. They they took your concerns into account. They cared. You know, there wasn't all this nitpicky micromanaging bull crap that goes on now. And it's just the they just keep adding to the pile, adding, 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 and the our shoulders can't take it. They can't take it anymore. Yeah, you know. No. Yeah, absolutely. Eventually well, snap. And then I snapped and made videos. <laughs> yeah, and, so, and people snap and they leave, you know, yeah. and they walk away. Sadly, you know, so many so many nurses talk about how sad it is. It's hard on your mental health. It's hard on your physical yeah. and mental health. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, I remember years coming home from work with my neck in knots from the tension and the pressure and the stress of making sure you don't make a mistake and trying to remember, did I do all the things I was supposed to do? You know, because it's near, almost near impossible to keep up with the level and you just eventually, you know, or you cry on the way home or, you know, you get to a point that it's like, this isn't good. This isn't good for me, you know? And I don't want to see more and more people leaving, you know, I would love to go back to it. I, I honestly, but I won't go back to it the way it is right now. No way. Yeah, that's the thing. There are a lot of people choosing to leave and do different things. And we're doing this creator con, you know, we are helping people who want to try to maybe shift and do something a little different. Maybe in addition to working at the bedside, maybe they don't, maybe they absolutely cannot work at the bedside anymore, emotionally, physically, for whatever reason, they just can't. Yeah, there's it. different levels of it. Maybe it's some just, people just, yeah. you know, want to make some extra income where they're not forced to have to pick up, you know, a fourth shift or, you know, they just want to make like a little side money, a little side hustle as they call it, you know, or it could be that some people want to figure out something all, all together, you know, but like you were saying, there's so many different paths, you know, things that like you're saying, legal nurse consultants, and there's so many different things that people can do nowadays that, you know, if you, if they're getting to that point that they feel like they need to search and see if there's something else they, or they just need a break. Sometimes you just need a little different path or a break for a little while. And I think that that's what this is all about. I do too. And I, the thing is that if you are ready to be away from the bedside because you just can't take it anymore, physically, emotionally, mentally, whatever the reason, you have the right to, to walk away. And I was posting in a group about the creator con and someone commented and said, I think it's really sad that, there are people who are trying to lure nurses away from the bedside. And I'm like, that's not how this is working. There are people literally leaving the bedside. There are people who cannot stay anymore. There are people that just quit spur of the moment and do not have a backup plan. Just can't. Yeah, They literally snap and they're like, I'm out of here. Like no two week notice that's happening all the time. This is not to say leave bedside nursing. But this is to show options to those people that want to know about options you you don't that have to i mean 
And it's, if it's not bedside, we're not saying you have to be a social media nurse. That's not what we're saying either. There's diabetic foot care. There's all these different paths. Yes. There's different things that people could do. You can do aesthetic nursing. You can do triage calls from home. You can do aesthetic nursing. I mean, there's a lot more than what, you know, is really advertised out there. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot of different things that you could make money. And that's the cool part about being a nurse is we're needed in all different areas, all different places. If it's not the hospital, there's definitely a need out there for nurses. So I hope that this helps educate, you know, some people, you know, they can take from that, you know, what they will. Yeah, because of course, we're not at in by any means trying to make people leave or force people to leave or lure people away from the bedside. I want I love. I still work at the bedside. I love being a nurse and taking care of people. But I also know that realistically, we can't do this kind of nursing and what the con- working under the conditions that we're having to work under right now. Uh, Long term, it's just not healthy for us. So if you've reached that point that you just can't do it anymore, and you need something else, we're going to have lots of options. We ha- we'll have Nurse Fern. She is so great. She's on TikTok. She's real big on TikTok. She helps people find remote nursing jobs. People that want to work from home, you know, doing, I guess, different types of jobs that you can do from home. And she literally helps to connect people with those jobs. I know she's wonderful. She's going to be there as an aesthetic nurse. Dr. Jones is going to be there for people interested in getting in that, just all kinds of stuff. So I'm super excited. I'll be teaching about podcasting. If anybody's interested in starting a podcast, I have people ask me that all the time. So I'm really excited. I've I've written a book called From Passion to Podcast. And it's literally kind of like how you take something you're passionate about. And if you like to talk about stuff, as I like to rub my mouth, then, and you're maybe more of a behind the scenes person then podcasting is, you know, really cool because it's something you have, you can have control over like the editing process and everything. You guys know you can find me at goodnursebadnurse.com. You can go to nursecreatorcon.com if you want to get tickets to go to the event. If you want to attend virtually, maybe you can't make it to Austin, Texas, but you still want to have access to all of this information, education, and the we'll be live streaming. So you can kind of participate that way. We are offering virtual tickets as well. And you can email me if you'd like at tina at goodnursebadnurse.com. And of course, I want to remind you that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, be a good nurse.